Hey, I'm doing as I always do. I'm starting my day with a great cup of Boyer's coffee, Aspen Gold to be exact. And uh, that's that's been my preference of late, but I kind of move it around. You can move it around as well. Just go to BoyersCoffee.com. Check out all of their wonderful flavors, all their different uh, coffee products. You know the drill. They've been brewing coffee, outstanding coffee, in the Rocky Mountain region since 1965. I love to take care of local folks because they ultimately take care of us. And Boyer's Coffee has been a great community member for many, many, many decades. Again, go to their site, boyerscoffee.com, and have their wonderful product delivered right to your home. That's how I do it. You can also find it in your favorite grocery store as well if you're out and about. Boyerscoffee.com. They're great. Hey, we're well into spring, summer's days away, and of course we've gotten snow because it's the Rocky Mountains, and that's what happens in the spring. Steel can help you take care of all seasons. That's steel, S-T-I-H-L, Steel USA, or steeldealers.com. Go to either one of those sites. You're going to find a dealer near you because there's more than 10,000 around the country. And also, you can look at all of their products because they're going to help you, man. It's unbelievable. Whether it's electric, whether it's battery powered, which is my preference, or gas powered, they're going to have something to help you if you have a small yard, if you have just a, a flower beds that you want to take care of, or perhaps you have a lot of property and you got to take care of a ranch. Whatever it is, they'll get it done for you. That's why so many people worldwide use the best steel products. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com or steelusa.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Drew is breaking down the avalanche and the Oilers in the Western Conference Final. What are the Rockies' woes of late? And it's part two of Drew's conversation with Hall of Fame broadcaster John Miller. John has some more great stories and some memories about the legendary Vin Scully. I miss Vinny greatly right now, so I cherish those moments, those chances to have that time with it. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is June the 1st and I got a couple of uh, items on my mind as we embark on podcast number 152. First up, I just said it's June the 1st. I woke up Walk the dog. It's 38 damn degrees out. I had a skull cap on. I had like four layers on. I'm like, what is going on? Of course, I was fortunate because last week we were on the road with the Rockies and we missed the snowfall. So I guess I can't complain that much. Uh, the other thing that is on my mind, uh, a couple other items, actually. Uh, doubleheader today because the Rockies were rained out last night. So the Rockies, uh, after that uh, fun 7-1 to uh, come from behind, win on Monday against Miami. We'll play a double dip in the cold weather today against Miami, and hopefully they can get after him. Uh, the other thing that's so prominently on my mind still, I'm a buzz from last night. The Avalanche in Game 1, in what looked like an All-Star game, an NHL All-Star game, because, you know, there, there's very little defense played, and the goaltenders are uh, under assault like the entire game in an All-Star game. And the scores in double digits. Well, last night was almost in double digits in a playoff hockey game. Game one of the Western Conference Finals. The Avalanche survive 8 
to six. When you have eight goals, you should not be saying you survived. But we were all white knuckling it when all of a sudden a 7-3 lead became 7-6 and there was close to eight minutes still left in regulation. Fortunately, the Avalanche uh, ended up winning that game 8-6. And afterward, to a man, everyone in the Avalanche dressing room was talking about, it's great we won, but we can't play that way. We have to clean up things. We have to clean up some things, I think was the most common phrase coming out of the Avalanche locker room after game one. But was that exciting, man? You have some of the best talent in the world. In fact, most people would rate Connor McDavid number one and Nathan McKinnon 1A. Leon Dreisaitl is a tremendous player. You know the names for the Avalanche. I'm not going to run them down. But that was a phenomenal hockey game. And if you did not have a rooting interest, you were still riveted. Because you're like, this is ridiculous. This is back and forth, back and forth. All all four goalies that dressed played. We'll see what happens with Darcy Kemper moving forward. But that was so much fun, especially because we're pulling hard for the Avalanche and the Avalanche found a way to win. But I'm telling you, man, I, I don't know how many more games like that I can take. It was like, Game six the other night, we're in Washington, D.C. After the game uh, against the Nats, we're at a uh, you know bar restaurant and, and Corey Sullivan, Ryan Spielborg, some of our crew, great producer Tavis Strand, his wife, Suze, we're all, we're all watching the hockey game. And we're having fun, laughs and beers and the whole bit. And then, man, we're, we're literally white knuckling it until the Avalanche score with five seconds left to win that thing against the Blues. Well, it's like game one, even though you know all that's at stake is one game, not a series, you're still white-knuckling it. So uh, I don't know how much more I can take of this, but it's fun, man. I'm always reminded there is nothing better than NHL playoff hockey when you have a rooting interest. Nothing better other than when it goes to overtime and then uh, it it goes beyond edge-of-your-seat stuff. One other note... I've thought about in watching the lead up to this series, this much anticipated Western Conference uh, final series between the Avs and the Oilers. And that is the two protagonists, if you will, Nathan McKinnon for the Avalanche and, and Connor McDavid, who has, you know, a room full of, you know, heart trophies already and finalists um, for Edmonton. Every time that McKinnon has been asked about, Connor McDavid, he immediately says he's the best player in the world. He says that's not a conversation. He's the best player in the world. And, you know, they're a great team. We're a great team. We're worried about, you know, winning a playoff series against another great team. And he kind of, you know, pushes that whole conversation, who's better, McDavid or McKinnon, aside, tips his fedora right out front every time to McDavid. But then I watched him on the ice last night. That Not that I expect, what I'm about to say, not that I expected anything differently, but you know, as driven as he is now in his ninth year to win a cup with Colorado, great athletes are great competitors. And there's that that little extra. If, there, if it's possible to have extra when you're in the Western Conference Finals and you realize you have an unbelievable chance 
to be the last one standing. But if there's that little extra bit of fuel that, to top it off, yeah, he wants to prove to the whole hockey world looking in and a national television audience uh, in every game that I'm just as good as, if not better, than the celebrated Connor McDavid. But publicly, verbally, he's going to tip his cap to McDavid. I love how he's handled it so far. And and both guys were brilliant in game one. Uh, but what a remarkable goal McKinnon had. And you saw his his world-class speed. So it just it just got me thinking. He's handled this whole thing perfectly. And I can't wait to see the ensuing uh, games and uh, the avalanches. I've been tweeting out on a regular basis with each win. So now it's as we tape this on, on a Wednesday morning, on a frigid Wednesday morning, it is nine down, seven to go. I love Washington. We just got back from there. Didn't like the baseball there. The Rockies didn't play well. Lost three or four. They haven't played very well the last uh, the last few weeks. A um, little bit more on that uh, down the road. Um, but one of the things I asked Buddy in a casual conversation, Buddy Black, while we were in D.C., I said, if there's one thing that has surprised you a little bit about this club through two months, what would it be? And, and this was more about things that haven't got gone right. And he did not hesitate or equivocate. He said defense. And if you've been watching the Rockies on a regular basis, I, I think you'd probably come to that same conclusion. I, I don't believe that on paper you would look at the Rockies and say, yeah, this this team is going to be one of the you know three or four best teams defensively in baseball. But you didn't expect them to be in the bottom of the league or close to it defensively. And you can call it a, you know, a, a slump to a certain degree. I think it goes beyond that. They, they have not played well. Um, I, I would say when it comes to defensive slumps, uh, for a couple of weeks, Ryan McMahon was in one. It goes back to that series in Philadelphia because we know he's a, a, an extraordinary defender, but he hasn't played great the first couple of months. Can he go the next four months and, and be otherworldly? Absolutely. Absolutely. But by and large, the defense, and Buddy said, has not been where he thought it would be. And I think that is an, an accurate and very fair assessment. And hopefully they start cleaning it up uh, going forward. A couple of things on the uh, on the Rockies that get me excited. Because I have said this on the podcast, I've said this on broadcast, I've said this ad nauseum through the years, whether it's 10-year-old baseball, whether it's travel ball at 12, whether it's high school baseball, whether it's collegiate baseball, minor league baseball, major league baseball, the sport never friggin' changes. It is always going to be about pitching. The teams that ultimately win the most have elite pitching in whatever league it is. And that's why going into this season, I felt like the Rockies had a chance to surprise if their rotation could stay healthy because I felt like their rotation, um, and, and many people did, um, was going to be a, a real strength and better than most rotations. Not better than all rotations, by not going there. That would be crazy. But better than most rotations. Now, so far this year, they haven't pitched that like that. And you know where guys are that 
you'd think would be in a different place. Uh, Herman Marcus has not pitched well. Last 22 games, he's pitched to over a 6 ERA. But the talent's there, the arm speed's still there, the velocity. Uh, he just has to land pitches more consistently. His command has not been there. Freeland's been okay. Gobber, other than his last outing, I think's been pretty good. Chad Cool's been, been good uh, for the most part. That needs to continue to go forward. But the reason I, I started down this pitching path is there are two guys that have pitched for the Rockies lately that have me excited. I'll start with a guy that's pitched one inning in the big leagues, and I'm still excited about it. I'd heard all spring, and we just had Chris Forbes on recently, the uh, farm director of the Rockies. And one of the guys he mentioned when we were talking about Albuquerque was Chad Smith. You know, Chad Smith was picked up uh, from Miami for Jesus Tinoco, you know, one of those deals that nobody, unless you're a baseball nerd, is even aware of. And Chad Smith always had a pretty good arm, um, but he's picked up a couple of ticks. The command is better. Closing games in Albuquerque, he was dominant. Really good numbers. And so he finally got a call up. And in his first game in Washington, it was wow stuff. It was 98, 99 mile an hour hard sinkers. And then he threw a wicked slider uh, to get a strikeout in a 1-2-3 inning against Washington. And it just looked right. In fact, I was uh, chatting with, I happened to run into Charlie Blackman on the way out of the clubhouse after the rain out on, what was that, Tuesday night. And I said the same thing to Charlie. I said, that Chad Smith, that, that, that looked right. I mean, that looked dominant. That looked like a late inning guy. And Charlie said back in spring training when he faced him and was playing behind him, he was like, this guy's got to be in the big leagues. This guy's really good. And, uh, you know, players know. I always say that. Players know. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Chad Smith going, going forward. But I'm excited about that. And the other guy I'm excited about, and we've seen him now a few times. Not a lot, but we've seen him a few times. We're going to see him more uh, later in the week as we tape this podcast. And that's Ryan Feltner. Fourth-round pick originally out of Ohio State, who just keeps getting better. When you look at his numbers when he was in the lower minor leagues, yeah, nothing to get super excited about. Um, but I've I've spent a little time with him. And not only from afar has he continued to improve, and he was really dominant in Albuquerque, which is impossible to do from a pitching standpoint. Pacific Coast League is a nightmare league for pitchers. If you have under a five, you're like a Hall of Famer. Well, he had, a, he had a 378 when he was most recently called up. He had a great start in Washington. Um, this, is a, this is a guy, or excuse me, not in Washington. He had a great start back home against Miami. Gave up that home run that's still traveling, Jesus Sanchez. Farthest home run I've ever seen at Coors Field. Uh, went in the upper deck uh, beyond, almost almost went over the roof. It was crazy. But anyhow, he, he had seven innings. He allowed just that one home run. And it was dominant. And it looked, you know, it was 95 to 97, good slider, flipped up some curveballs. Um, and in, in talking to him, this is what I was alluding to, really mature, really bright, and there's a toughness. There's a, there's a, I know I belong here and I, and I know I can be good here type of toughness. And he demonstrated it after giving up that monstrosity of a home run to Sanchez. He was in attack mode the very next hitter 
It was it, it it didn't shock him. It didn't change his game plan after giving up that that long home run. And that long home run was early in the game. And he went on to have shutout inning after shutout inning. So I'm really excited about those two guys because ultimately for the Rockies to get where we all want to see them get to, the pitching has to be really good. And there are pieces that need to pitch better. We've talked about Herman. We know that. More consistency out of the rest of the rotation. But when you see a guy like Ryan Feltner, you go, that guy can be a piece. When you see a guy like Chad Smith, you go, that guy can be a nice piece late in games. So uh, I was intrigued by by those two guys uh, in particular. All right, time to get to part two of our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. It's with the Hall of Fame broadcaster, John Miller, now a longtime broadcaster of the Giants, but you know his work for many years when he was doing the Sunday night game with the late Joe Morgan on ESPN. Uh, he had been with Baltimore for a number of years. Great storyteller, very interesting man, great voice, tremendous, tremendous baseball broadcaster. So this is a part two of my conversation brought to you by Ideal Home Loans with the Hall of Fame broadcaster, John Miller. John, how, how conflicted were you, if at all, when Barry was approaching Henry Aaron's home run record and take us through the call of 756 well i was uh, uh, I, I was irritated that whole time you know, we'd go into uh, cities and there'd be some young broadcaster saying well i hope he doesn't hit it uh, i don't want to be on when he's when he hits it blah 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 and uh, and me and uh, Dwayne kuiper went up and, and found the guy i mean like uh, so your job is not to broadcast the game I mean, it sounds like you, you've turned it into, you look at it as an entirely different job. Well, you know, well, well, well we're going to broadcast the moment. If the moment is that he hits it here and the people are booing and they throw stuff on the field, well, then that's what we'll broadcast. That's that's our job. And that's your job, although you don't apparently seem to know that. So, uh, uh, so the... And I missed some of them because I would leave on the weekends for ESPN. Right. Um, when he passed the babe, I wasn't there. Uh, and Dave did a great call on the radio of number 715. You know what? It was against us. And and I obviously won't be attached to the call because Barry was a giant. But I remember calling. It was off of Byung Young Kim and it was to dead center field. Well, you probably have a, a record of that. Dave said, hit deep to center feet. And his mic went. And it's like this ultimate mystery because you heard everything else. You heard the roar of the crowd. You heard all of it. And Dave was working with Greg Papa that day. Papa was filling in for me. And all of a sudden, the the engineer, who's now in charge of all remote productions at KMBR, he starts telling Greg Papa, you got to take it. you got to take it. And Papa's like, what do you mean? T- I, I can't take it. He's in the middle of an historic call. What are you doing? And uh, uh, But nothing that Dave said was being heard. And I felt so bad and, and outraged because he was a young, it was like maybe his third year of big league broadcasting. And now he's on the air for this incredible moment. And 
is what the second guy ever to reach 715 and they his call doesn't exist so then I met the team in New York the next day from wherever I was the Giants after they played the Rockies that day went to New York to play the Mets and all of a sudden Dave is on the ABC Evening News with Peter Jennings uh, he's on the Mets station they want to have a live shot with him uh, because of this snafu and I said so that was like this horrible thing that I was feeling so bad but it's actually made you famous now you're in New York and everybody in New York is uh, wanting to talk to you so on the other hand maybe maybe it was for the best so although you know uh, the next time somebody hits 715 you, you'll have a chance then to uh, to get the call but, uh, so uh, but uh, I did say to Dave I said you know let's create a story that we got in a technician who was able to go in and found out that that still existed and and we're going to play it for the first time Dave's actual call I said which now of course is not true but gives you a chance to do the call where you could say I wouldn't be surprised if this is the pitch right here. Uh, Byung Hyung Kim is liable to throw him that big uh, kind of rising slider, and I think Barry and Barry he, he's going to wait on it, but uh, and therefore I don't think he'll pull it. I think he'll hit it to straightaway center, but it's going to be a long one. I'll, that's that's just my feeling. That we'll we'll see. Here's the pitch, you know, and uh, so and he never did it, but I I still think it would be a good idea. That would that would be a great parody of it. <laughs> what what do you remember though about seven fifty six? The thing I remember from afar, we, we uh, it was not against the Rockies, is of all the places Barry could have hit the baseball, that was the furthest and most remote place one could hit a baseball. And in fact, he's one of the few guys on the planet who could actually hit it out in that particular spot in in over Triples Alley. He old hit. triples alley. He hit over the, the the old 421 sign, which is now the 415, and and over the 20 foot high wall above that, and uh, which was even more difficult. The, the fact that it, you had to hit it over that 20 foot high wall. No, but I, nobody hits homers. No, no, that was that was Barry's domain. But although when the park first opened, he lost a home run to that spot against Randy Johnson. And then he lost one to the left of straightaway center that the wind knocked down, which was 404. Now it's 399. Uh, and this was the first week of the ballpark. And Barry was kind of outraged, like, my home park now? You can't hit a home run in? and Because uh, he would have had two against the big unit. But, uh, but when it came to that home run, uh, he was facing a guy who's dad had been a big league pitcher and uh, and his dad had faced him so it was kind of a cool story already and the, the the situation was such that it was the kind of a thing where your intuition starts saying well this could be it right here this guy wants to get him he didn't want to walk him like everybody else uh, and the team is not a pennant contender he's just a young guy and he wants this notch to call his dad after, you know, uh, Bobby Bonds got a double against you. Well, I, I struck out very bad. So the, the only thing I thought at that moment leading into the pitch was uh, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey. Because the Giants have this history 
of the home run uh, as part of the franchise's story. And so I just said, uh, and I don't remember all the things I said, but I wanted to get their names in there. So I said, uh, you know, this, this is the big pitch, and uh, Bonds is one home run away from the home run record. Uh, the crowd uh, here at 24 Willie Mays Plaza is eagerly uh, hoping to see it. And there's a huge uh, group of nautical craft out in McCovey Cove. So I got, uh, yeah, whatever it was. Uh, so I got Mays and McCovey's names in there. And, and then he hits it. So I was on the radio. I just wanted to, on the radio, it's all about painting the picture. I just wanted to give a good description of where he hit it. And then I got Henry Aaron's name in there and called him the, you know, Barry Bonds has now hit more home runs than anybody who's ever played. Henry Aaron is the home run king, has had that record for whatever it was, 40 years or whatever it was. And, uh, uh, so that was the thing I was pleased with was I got Mays and McCovey before the pitch, and then I got Aaron and calling the home run king after the pitch, and, and I felt like I was satisfied with the description of it. But then the, on, my, on my own station, I hear the driving home, I hear the, the they, whoever's got the talk show plays it, and they played it this, this edited version. Here's the pitch, swung on, way back, way back, it's gone, that's all right. And then back to the guy. Yeah. So I, I called him. I said, listen, the guy could just have said that already. You know, there's no roar of the crowd. There's no nothing, you know. And, uh, if we could play the longer, maybe get Mays and McCovey in there and, and Aaron, maybe it's a little more worth listening to. Because I, I don't want to listen to it. But uh, uh, anyway, so I think that, that, that's the way they played it after that. But uh, but then, I don't know, a year, a year or so later, a few years later, uh, Bob Costas had a radio show, and I did the radio show with him, and... Then he was talking about it. We were talking about it, just like you and I. And then they played it. And they played the little edited version. And so, <laughs> and, well, that's just the way it is, I guess. More with the Hall of Fame announcer, John Miller, in a moment. The first is for Ideal Home Loans. Keep talking about how crazy the real estate market's been and uh, interest rates. You know that because uh, you're living it day to day like all of us. If you need guidance, which I think we all do at different times, when it comes to the market and lending money and how to get that mortgage or perhaps the refinance or maybe it's to do that home project that you've been putting off and you feel like maybe I can't get it done, uh, think again. Go to Ideal Home Loans because they're going to help you navigate the craziness. Their phone number is 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. And you may be hesitant and think, wow, you know, really now's not the time. But they may be able to uh, give you some ideas that helps you making your decision and maybe realizing that, yes, you can get some things done now even during these uh crazy and volatile times in the real estate world. So give them a call. Again, it's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. Brent Ivinson's team has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Now back to more with John Miller. You know, the beautiful thing about what we do and what you've done at the top of this profession for so many years is it's unscripted. Tonight, you know, we're sitting here, the, the Rockies and Giants are going to play. And the beautiful thing is it's the last bastion, truly, of, of reality, television or radio. Because we don't know what we'll see tonight. We have no idea. And I'm, I'm going to somehow uh, 
awkwardly transition to, for me, the greatest to ever do this, and, and that's Scully. What, knowing Van and, and being around him, uh, what do you take away from when someone like myself says Vin Scully? What, what are your first thoughts, John? Uh, for me, growing up in San Francisco, we had Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons, uh, great broadcasters, both in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and they taught me the game. Uh, they described the exploits of Willie Mays. Baseball was a radio sport in the Bay Area at that time. The Giants only televised the games in L.A. The Dodgers only televised the games in San Francisco. So they taught me the game on radio. So I would tune in the Dodgers. KFI was the station, big, powerful 50,000-watt clear channel station. And uh, so I'd listen to Vinny at night to get the latest update of the Dodgers. And I remember, you know, I was 10 or 11 thinking, uh, man, he just says, she's gone for a home run. And it's just, no wonder he's working in a jerk water town like L.A. You know, <laughs> he'll never get out of that town. And that was the one thing I was right about. He's still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah never got out of L.A. hundred years later, yeah. So, But... Uh, but then when I was a little older, a little more mature, and really I was in college and really thinking that I could get into broadcasting. I was in Eugene, Oregon, and then drove back to the Bay Area at night. So I heard a whole Dodger game, and I had a much more critical ear for it now. And it was the most entertaining broadcast of a game. It was the Dodgers and Cubs nothing special about the, nope, not a pennant race it was middle of the summer June sometime but I just remember thinking wow what an what an artist what a uh, uh, an, an expert because I was totally entertained even often more by his stories or the way he fleshed out who these players were even even Cubs players I learned more about Don Kessinger and Glenn Beckard in the double play combination than, than I ever knew before and uh and now I cared about him because I, I knew so much about him. But, but he, he never allowed the stories, the anecdotes, never got in the way of the game. Bob Costas and I, years later, used to kid each, kid each other that it's almost like they have such respect for Vin. They wait before they hit the double until he finishes the story. Because we were both kind of uh, commiserating about the timing always was impeccable. Yeah. Just before I get to the punchline, boom, he hits it off the wall, and uh, that never seems to happen to Vin. But uh, uh, and then we, you know, I think we both understood that Vin had such an acute feel for the game that that informed his decision when a story was apropos, or even more important. Maybe when it was not the time for a story, that this is a hitter and a time in the game where something big may be about to happen. Let's not get in the way of it. So, uh, so I think I probably learned more, even that just that one night, listening to Vin about the art of broadcasting a baseball game on the radio than from anywhere else. So, although Lon Simmons told me, I remember giving him a tape of a Mike college professor uh, taught me broadcasting. I had made a tape of a Giants game. He said, well, let's go to the Candlestick together, and meet with Lon, and we'll give him your tape. So, and so Lon 
actually sent me uh, a letter about the tape. And the one thing he said was, when a guy's up and you have all these stories and statistics and whatnot, which is all interesting, it's, it's, it's good stuff, impressive, but, you know, Willie McCovey and Willie Mays are up, it might be better just to describe what they're doing because they're the reason that you want to listen. So that was the first time anybody ever said anything like that to me. So, uh, and I always remembered that. So, uh, and Lon is also one of my favorite people because when he went with Oakland, he and Bill King did the A's games, which for me was like, if like you're in LA, it would have been Ben Scully and Chick Hearn became the, the, the co-broadcasters of the Dodgers. That, two huge local sports broadcasting stars, you know, working together. And I had a friend, I was doing the Red Sox games at that time, and I had a friend, as a favor, tape on a cassette the opening night at the Coliseum with them doing their first game together. And then he, he mailed it to me because I wanted to hear the, the two of them together. Sure. And uh, and the A's beat Kansas City something like, you know, 15 to 1 or whatever, hit like six home runs and uh, so there was a lot of action. And uh, uh, so those are the two guys who taught me so much along with Vin. But then I got to know Lon and Bill really well because they were in the American League with Oakland and they come into Baltimore and before that went into Boston. And I'd go to dinner with them and pick their brains. and, and uh, Or even more, I just found out like, they just like to have fun, you know. So it was just fun being with them. And then... I got to work with Lon when I came to the Giants. Primarily, he was, at that point, the guy who would do the games that I missed. So he'd do like 40 or 50 games. Uh, but occasionally, somebody else would be gone, and I'd go uh, work with Lon, which was such a thrill. Sure. And I was always so intimidated. And I always told the joke, because Lon had this incredible voice. I'd, I'd see Lon in the hall and say, uh, he'd go, Hi, John, how are you? I'd, uh, good. I'm good. Yeah. I was just so intimidated. You know, I could hardly speak. But uh, anyway, uh, so those are those guys are the icons for me. And then Vin, I got to know Vin really well, much better than I'd known him before, because we would see the Dodgers so often, and I'd have dinner with him in the press room before the game, and he'd tell stories, and we'd have laughs together, and uh, to find out that he wasn't just a great broadcaster, but he was just fun and funny and just a warm human being and um, and he told me stories about in New York when he was the young guy working with Red Barber and one of his best friends in the world was Russ Hodges because they all lived in Manhattan sure and he worked in Brooklyn and, and Russ worked in, uh, in in Harlem where the polo grounds was uh, but when they'd have a mutual night off, they'd all get together at somebody's apartment, and they'd have dinner. And they, they wouldn't—they wouldn't go out to dinner. They'd be cooking. He says Russ was a great cook, and so he'd cook. And so he told me all these stories, stuff that I had no idea about. And so that was just a fun thing. And and, and I do—I miss Vinny greatly right now. So, and I, I cherish those moments, those chances to to have that time with him. I've always said this, um, one, of, one of the treasures of, of my career it has been getting to know Vin over, over several decades. And I always say, as great a broadcaster as he is, he is a finer gentleman, which is uh, 
you know, I guess my way of saying just what you did, John. He, he was incredible. You and I have to get ready for our broadcast tonight. I can't thank you enough for uh, for spending time and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's special for me because, uh, you know, we get to see you guys uh, quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I used to, before I, when I was doing basketball, I was doing the NBA, I would watch you and Joe on Sunday night baseball. So uh, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, I enjoyed it. And uh, just always let me leave you with, if you ever start doing hockey, uh, I learned to refer to the puck as an it, as in he overskates it or... Uh, saves it or whatever. So just something I learned the hard way. Uh, yes, uh, I think we all have a story where a word that we don't want to wanders into the broadcast. John B. Well, have a great broadcast tonight. All right, you too. Thanks. John Miller, Vince Scully. Wouldn't you like to eavesdrop on one of their uh, conversations? Uh, I've said this, you know, that one of my great thrills in in broadcasting was to get to know Vin Scully uh, over the years when when Vin was you know forever with the Dodgers and the Rockies would play the Dodgers and and for a number of years before Vin Vin really cut back his um, travel schedule we'd see him in Denver also and there are a couple of uh, quick little stories I'll share with you. And invariably, it was the end of the evening, and I would be coming out of uh, the home broadcast, television broadcast booth, and and Vin would be coming out of the visiting television broadcast booth, which they're right next to each other. And before games, we often go back and forth, whoever's in town, and you kind of compare notes and visit with one another. They're, they're colleagues, and, and at times, they, uh, you know, colleagues uh, over the years be, become, you know, professional friends and that sort of thing. So Vin happened to come out on, on these two memorable occasions for me. And one was after one of those four hour and 18 minute, nine inning, you know, 13, 11 games against the Dodgers back in the day. And Vin in that beautiful voice came out. And the first thing he said to me was, Drew, don't they ever play crisp two hour and 20 minute games here? And all I could do, that, that was my best Vin Scully imitation, by the way. Not very good. Not nearly as good as John Miller. But um, all I could say is, uh, no, Vin, not here. No crisp two-hour and 20-minute games. Uh, the other the other story that comes to mind about late at night coming out of the, out of the booth, this was actually um, before the game, as I recall. And we were in an extended delay because of weather, but nothing was happening outside. And so Vin comes out, or maybe he pokes his head in our booth, and he said, now I've seen it all. We're waiting for it to rain. Because, uh, you know, the the weather forecasters and the people that the, the Rockies keep in touch with to figure out whether they can get a game in or whether they need to keep the tarp on the field. You know how the cells come over. So nothing was going on. It wasn't raining out. In fact, it may have even been partially sunny out, but they thought that it was going to rain and it was inevitable and it was around the corner. So Vin and that great voice came around and said, now we're waiting for it to rain. For whatever reason, uh, those couple of stories in particular uh, stand out. Anyhow, big thanks to John Miller for uh, for for spending time uh, the last uh, couple of weeks, and um, 
he's always he's always fun to uh, to visit with. A reminder, as always, to get updated with the DNVR Rockies uh, podcast with my man Patrick Lyons. He does it uh, five days a week. I like reading his stuff also. Patrick's a, a really good writer, and um, I, I don't know where he finds time to do anything else because when he's not doing his podcast, he's writing and, and vice versa, that and, and running because he's a, a quite a distance runner as well. So make sure you, you check out the DNVR Rockies podcast and all the good DNVR product covering all of your favorite teams in our region we're going to do it again next week go abs go hopefully this is a good week for the rockies as well as uh they continue this homestand with the atlanta braves uh coming in and they can get things uh turned around in the right direction here as we embark on june bundle up june is here 38 outside have some boyer's coffee check with you next week stay safe stay well talk to you soon